Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, a courtroom stunt. Donald Trump is stepping away from the trail and choosing to sit inside a New York City court right now. The reason is pretty simple. He thinks it's the best place to boost his campaign. Plus, four days left, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are crisscrossing Iowa after facing off in our heated CNN debate. They were quick to fire off attacks on each other, but did they spend enough time taking on a far and away frontrunner? And Hunter Biden is heading to a Los Angeles courtroom today to be arraigned on federal tax charges as the White House worries his legal troubles could lead to more political troubles for his father. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We begin in New York, where closing arguments are underway in Donald Trump's civil fraud trial with hundreds of millions of dollars and the future of the Trump organization on the line. The former president is inside the courtroom right now. His team is just finishing their final presentation. We wanted to give our, he wanted to give a closing argument, but the judge there rejected that request after Trump would not agree to certain conditions. Remember, this judge already found Trump liable for committing fraud relating to his wealth and business empire. This trial is about other charges and the punishment he and his company will face. CNN's Paula Reed is outside the courthouse in New York. Paula, what's the latest? We sit. Cameras move. A little over two hours right now. Now, there was, of course, some talk yesterday about Trump possibly participating in the closing arguments. Dana, that would be highly unusual. And the judge was open to it, but wanted Trump to agree to certain restrictions, asking him to focus on the material facts of the case, not give a campaign speech. Now, his team would not agree uh, to those limitations. So, so far, Trump has not participated in the proceedings today. Instead, his lawyer, Chris Kyes, offering a summary of their case, arguing that this is a politically motivated case that has been manufactured, insisting that their client had no motivation to lie to Deutsche Bank about his net worth, and insisting that in Trump's experience, he didn't expect that the bank would just rely solely on these statements that were presented about his net worth. Now, Kais also took aim at Trump's former lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen, because as you may remember, back in 2019, Cohen testified before Congress that Trump had misled the government and banks about his net worth to get more favorable terms on loans and for his taxes. And that testimony is part uh, of what has brought us here to this civil case in New York. They also uh, took aim at Cohen's recent mishap where he relied on artificial intelligence uh, to drum up some citations uh, for a court case. Now they're taking aim at his credibility because they argue that Cohen is the only one who testified here that there was any intent 
to defraud. Now, it's been interesting to watch the judge in this case. He has interrupted Kai's a few times. As you know, this at times, this case has been pretty combative. He has interrupted Kai's a few times today on some technical points. But I think, Dana, there you're seeing the judge try to preserve the record for appeal because he knows whatever his final decision here is will likely be appealed almost immediately. And this afternoon, of course, the district attorney will present her closing arguments or her team's closing arguments. Okay, Paula, thank you. And I'm told as you were talking, the, uh, they took a break in the court uh, for, uh, for a little while. The former president came out, attacked the uh, New York Attorney General. We're going to see what happens when they go back because they're not finished with those final arguments. I want to bring in our panel on this, Jonah Goldberg of The Dispatch, Nia Malika Henderson of Bloomberg, and CNN legal analyst Elliot Williams. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. Nice to see you. Um, little bleary from <laughs> making it back from Iowa this morning. To hear, actually. Um, but we did it. Uh, okay, so let's let's stay focused. And Elliot, I want you to kind of give the context for what is happening. Just stay focused on this particular uh, case right now in New York. Okay, fraud in New York. It is a civil suit being brought by the Attorney General of New York against the Trump Organization. Now, the judge has already found that there was, I believe the language was persistent uh, fraud, um, per persistent and pervasive mm -hmm. fraud. And now it's a question of what the damages will be and also some other uh, questions, insurance fraud being one of them, conspiracy to falsify business records and other things. Now, it seems pretty clear, and Paula touched on this a moment ago, it seems pretty clear that you know, Trump's team has not done particularly well in the eyes of the judge in the course of this trial. And it's really just a question of what the damages will be. Will it be the full 300 plus million dollars or something less than that? That remains to be seen. The judge will write an opinion uh, within the coming weeks, not immediately, but probably a few weeks from now, uh, laying all that out. Yeah. And, and Jonah, he uh, is the, the what what is at stake right now. You mentioned money. $370 million in ill-gotten gains. That's what the New York Attorney General is saying. And trying to bar him from doing business in the state of New York. Uh, and also asking for a five-year business ban for Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr., uh, his sons. Just talk about the sort of psychology of this for Donald Trump. <laughs> um, that is a dark place, right? I'm not sure I want to enter. but. Um, abandon all hope. Uh, so uh, let me just sort of set the broad parameters. I, I think this whole trial prosecution was a mistake. I think it's very political. It's, a, it's a, somewhat campaigned mm -hmm. on an election to do this. It's an elected judge. It's, it's part of the sort of the party machinery. Not to say I think he's innocent of all this stuff. I think he's a sleazy businessman. I grew up in New York City. I think the Trumps are sleazy. Um, and he's probably guilty of all this stuff. But it was kind of hard to find a victim. It feels very politicized. The psychology of this is really brutal for him in the sense that he takes great pride in his business and his business empire. On the flip side, the politics of it is being on trial is really good for him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to be there. He's there on purpose. Um, and it's, it's an excuse not to be out on the campaign trail. It's an excuse not to do debates and all that kind of stuff. And it has been working for him. And yeah. he's made yeah, that. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, he's sort of the crucified messiah, right? Sitting there in the, the courthouse. He doesn't have to be there. He's fundraising off of it. It basically uh, is proof to his supporters that uh, he, you know, people like Letitia James, the AG in New York, are out to get him. So it works very well. He doesn't have to be in Iowa. It's very cold there. 
there, as you know, you were just there. And so, yeah, this is good. I guess he came out at some point and was speaking before reporters and going at the attorney general again, who makes a really great foil, right? Because mm -hmm. she's a black woman uh, and she's a New Yorker. She makes a great foil for Donald Trump. And, and so he hammers. But it's a, it's a classic Trump era collective action problem. This is also really good for Letitia James. It's been great for her. It was great for Alvin Bragg to bring a case that anything should be brought. You have all these people who have their incentives are being rewarded by doing things against Trump that also reward Trump, but but also elevate him and are bad for the country in general. Yeah, I mean, God, that's such a good point. It's that because they're they're elected officials in addition to uh, Donald Trump being one previously and wanting to be one again. The the politics of this is so good for them on both sides. It really makes it hard to figure out what's real. I mean, that's what this judge is for, and that's what this court hearing is and, for, and what the whole trial. And was not just about. that. In a jurisdiction that voted uh, for Joe Button was it 85 or 90 percent. I mean, it, it's incredibly high. So you know, your political points a good one. I, I think the, another point that they're making here, in addition to the politics, is that well, what you are doing now is suing me for the art of business, in mm -hmm. effect. And look, real estate properties are, uh, it's subjective. And what you are doing is um, making the art of deal making itself criminal or at least uh, civilly actionable. Now, if you look at the law and you look at what he is accused of doing, um, some of those valuations simply do not make sense. Sure. You know, like the, the duplex that was overvalued by a, by a, by a factor of three mm -hmm. certainly uh, isn't the case. But that's, and, and they've made that point multiple times today that look, there was subjectivity here and President Trump uh, and his team uh, did their best to figure out what these properties were worth. I, I wanna look at some of the CNN reporting about his decision to go today to New York and to try to testify, which, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, the judge said, uh-uh, we're not going to do that unless you meet these conditions, and he wouldn't agree to that. This uh, reporting is the closing arguments are coming two days after Trump's lackluster appearance in a Washington, D.C. courtroom yielded less fanfare than the former president has grown accustomed to while dropping in and out of the courthouse in New York. Yeah, listen, I mean, if you think about all of his appearances uh, prior to this, it was sort of wall-to-wall -wall coverage. Uh, he's taking off in his SUV or his plane. And listen, uh, we've sort of gotten used to that. It worked for Donald Trump. He sort of liked it. There were crowds at, at, at times. And now, you know, he's sort of a run-of-the-mill person who's in court because he's been in court uh, so much, even though, again, he doesn't really have to be there. Uh, but he kind of wants the attention. He wants a spotlight. He says he wanted to testify who knows if he really wanted to get up there uh, and maybe perjure himself, but yeah. And, and you know, it, what's interesting with this whole uh, fracas is that you have to submit to the rules of the court, even if you're Donald Trump. And this idea that, well, even though my attorneys are arguing, well, I, I could just go in and make the case myself. Uh, you know, the judge did not have to allow him to do that and ultimately did not for a number of reasons, starting with the fact that they were late in responding to the judge's email, but also he's not entitled as right. a defendant to go up and talk. And, you know, the rules apply to everybody, and, and we saw that here. But, but Trump has always had this view of the law going back to, I mean, going way back, but, you know, we remember these incidents where just say you're doing an investigation mm -hmm. and we'll handle the rest kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Legal proceedings are props for a political narrative for him, have been when he was in office, before he, when he was a businessman, and now, and so, like, he can't see it as any other way except as a television mm -hmm. Scene, yeah, you know? thank you, Roy Cohen. And also, I'm using the word fracas now more often in my <laughs> life because that's an underused word. Uh, no, no uh, thank you so much. Uh, stick around. Uh, you two, one on one, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, they duked it out on the CNN debate stage last night.
If she says she's never said something, that definitely means she said it. And then she'll say, you're lying, you're lying. He spent more time trying to lie about me than he is about telling the truth about himself. They were eager to go after one another. You just saw a little taste of it. But what about Donald Trump? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. ...to a drinking game because you will be overserved by the end of the night. Do not trust Nikki Haley with illegal immigration. That's like having the fox guard the hen house. Nobody knows what he believes because when President Obama was in office, he supported foreign aid to Ukraine. You can take the ambassador out of the United Nations, but you can't take the United Nations out of the ambassador. If he can't handle the financial parts of a campaign, how's he going to handle the economy when it comes to the White House? You are the new John Kerry. You're for it before you are against it. So let's put You're our so own but between those one-liners, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis also laid out two very different visions for America, especially on foreign policy and specifically the war in Ukraine. Russia said once they take Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. Those are NATO countries, and that puts America at war. This is about preventing war. It's always been about preventing war. Nikki Haley is basically a carbon copy of what Biden is. It's an open-ended commitment. They want another $108 billion. They will not tell you uh, when the, the, uh, they have achieved their goal. Uh, and this is going to go on maybe hundreds of billions more into the future. The two also clashed on what's happening on America's southern border, which is a top issue for Republican primary voters. We passed E-Verify, which I want to take national, which is where businesses have to prove that the people they hire are in this country legally. I passed it within six months of being governor. Ron didn't pass it for five years. He only waited to pass it when he decided to run for president. It's like the lowest cost way to be able to harm this country. Just send people across the southern border. Uh, Nikki Haley also opposed the border wall in 2016. She said that she, she ridiculed it when Donald Trump was president. I'm telling you, you need a wall. You can't trust politicians to do this. If the wall's there, it's a physical fact of life. 
Haley and DeSantis remain far, far behind Donald Trump in the latest Iowa polls. Attacking the front runner for skipping the debate was one of the only things they agreed on. But they took decidedly different paths when asked if Trump had the character to be president again. I think the next president needs to have moral clarity. I think you need to have moral clarity to understand that it's taxpayer money, not your own money. I think you need to have moral clarity to understand that when you're dealing with dictators in the world, that we always have to fight for democracies and human rights and protecting Americans and preventing war. I appreciated what President Trump did, but let's just be honest. He said he was going to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. He did not deliver that. He said he was going to drain the swamp. He did not deliver that. He said he was going to hold Hillary accountable, and he let her, let her off the hook. He said he was going to eliminate the debt, and he added $7.8 trillion to the debt. Let's talk about all this with our panel. Uh, Nia Malika and uh, Jonah are back, and we also have now the Washington Post, Aaron Blake. Nice to see you. It's great to have you here. Let's start with you, the newbie here. What, what's your sense of what we just heard and what we saw so look, I participated I, in last night? Yeah, so look, I, I, I was struck early on in the debate when Nikki Haley basically said, my opponent is Donald Trump, that's who I'm running against. And then basically for the rest of the debate was engaging with the guy who really wants to bring her down because he's worried that she's going to take second place in Iowa, at which point DeSantis would have a very hard time. Um, moving forward, I, I think the, the setup of the debate was 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 tricky for her because it made it so there were two candidates and she really had to respond. If he was going to go after her, she had to respond in kind. And so really she got bogged down at a time when she really wanted to drive at least some kind of a message that was more geared towards Donald Trump. And she wasn't able to do that until the end of the debate when I thought there were some very helpful questions that really kind of brought the two of them out a little bit on these questions. Yeah, I mean, we tried at the beginning on Donald <laughs> Trump, but they weren't going there because they did seem so determined before even stepping on that stage to take one another down. And you just have to look at uh, the URL, the website that she mentioned, I don't know, what, like more than a dozen times. Let's just give you an example. You can go to DeSantisLies.com and look at all of those. Go to DeSantisLies.com, DeSantisLies.com, DeSantisLies.com. Go to DeSantisLies.com and you'll see it. It's documented in DeSantisLies.com. You can go to DeSantisLies.com. Go to DeSantisLies.com and you can find out for yourself. Is it, it is DeSantisLies.com? Well, I, I think it might be, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it is something that we remember. Yeah, listen, I mean, I think, you know, Nikki Haley is a very good debater. You know, they came in with this DeSantisLies.com. Uh, she really hammered it home. And listen, it is a fight for second. If she's able to sort of overtake him uh, in Iowa, finish well in New Hampshire, she could be the runner-up to the nomination, right? I mean, that seems to be uh, where they're fighting for in terms of really being able to topple Donald Trump. None of the polls suggest that that is going to happen. Time is getting short. Even if you look at polls in South Carolina, there's a poll out, I think, January 5th. She's like 30 points behind mm. Donald Trump in her home state of South Carolina. In many ways, I think South Carolina is more cultural fit for Donald Trump than even Nikki Haley uh, at this point, who hadn't, you know, was last in the governorship, I think, in 2017. So listen, uh, again, I think it was a great debate. You guys did a great job. Uh, and there were certainly some fireworks between them. But in terms of what this changed, probably not a lot. This came uh, a day after President, former President Trump's attorneys were in a court arguing that he should have immunity mm -hmm. from prosecution, from federal prosecution. So we asked, 
whether they agreed with the arguments that Donald Trump's lawyers were making. I think the D.C. Circuit is going to rule against Donald Trump on that issue. I'm not exactly sure what the outer limits are. I don't think it's necessarily been litigated. It's not going to be an issue with me because I'm always going to follow the Constitution. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we need to use some common sense here. You can't go and kill a political rival and then claim you know, immunity from a president. I think we have to start doing things that are right. This is what Aaron was referring to, I think, where they finally got to the point where they could push back on some of the ideas that Donald Trump is pushing, like, I don't know, he shouldn't be prosecuted or no president should be prosecuted if they commit a crime. Yeah, I mean, it just, it came pretty late. You had Donald Trump on another channel uh, doing his shtick. Um, I personally think that 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 the dynamic was more helpful to DeSantis, whether you think he won on points or not, you know, people disagree about that. Insofar the overall as, dynamic. The overall, overall dynamic is, is he owns his pugnaciousness. He comes by it honestly. It is part of his persona, fighter, never backs down kind of stuff. Nikki Haley has this different persona of sort of bless your heart, kind of take the high road kind of thing. And if it's just gonna be, you're a liar, no, you're a liar, no, you're a bigger liar, I think it diminishes her more than it diminishes him. And so I thought it was it was sort of as someone who would I mean, I'd rather either of them be the nominee than than Donald Trump. Um, but I, I, I don't think it helped Nikki as much as it probably helped DeSantis. Meanwhile, you mentioned that uh, the front runner, it was on another network and he was trying to counter program. He did a town hall. And what was really noteworthy, one of the, the things that was noteworthy is how he was trying to, somebody got to him, or somebody's got to him, about trying to pull back on some of the more, more outrageous things that he has said recently. Let's watch. Can you say tonight that political violence is never acceptable? Well, of course that's right. And of course, I'm the one that had very little of it. The new narrative they have, as you know, is I'm going to be a dictator. I am not going to be a dictator. I'm going to manage like we did. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And, and remember this, our ultimate retribution is success. Aaron? I mean, look, this is what Donald Trump does. He will say one thing at one point, then he'll come around and say something that is amounting to, like what you said, what his advisor would tell him is the right thing to say. And it sends the signal to certain supporters to believe the first thing. It sends a signal to other supporters to believe the second thing. Um, and I thought the debate actually last night brought a very telling moment on that. Uh, Ron DeSantis was asked about Trump's tweet about terminating portions of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And he, he differed with it, but also described it as, quote unquote, word vomit. Um, so this is the balance with Trump. He, the, the whole take him seriously, not literally thing has paid enormous dividends for him over the years because it invites people to pick and choose what they take seriously. Meanwhile, he can walk into the Oval Office uh, if he's elected and decide which things are going to be part of his mandate. He's going to say, I said these things. I was elected. Now I can do this. You've yeah. watched him for a long time, Jonah. Yeah, I mean, I, the real problem is, is that, well, I've had arguments for years with people who take him seriously, not literally. The real problem is, is that people take him hypothetically. Right. And they just imagine scenarios that fit whatever scenario that they want. And, um, you know, and this this sort of Yasser Arafat approach of speaking one language to one audience and another language to another audience. 
I think it's the day before he was sending out fundraising emails, or one of his packs was sending out fundraising emails talking about I'm going to be your retribution, yeah, exactly. right? So it's not, mm-hmm. he, he's what social scientists call a big fat liar. <laughs> right. Hey, listen, really? Do they, you have to get a PhD a yeah. To, yeah. to learn yeah. that? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And listen, I'm sure he will go back to this language of being, you know, the retribution because it works for his uh, very rabid base of supporters, even the dictator line. So listen, I think he felt like at least in that moment he wanted to clean it up and, and then I, I bet he'll revert back. I, uh, I, we, we obviously talked a lot about uh, the debate and about what happened on another network, but just real quick on Chris Christie dropping out. Yeah, I mean, uh, biggest upshot is I think this does actually help Nikki Haley potentially significantly in New Hampshire. If you look at the base of support that Christie had, and in New Hampshire, it was significant, double digits in most polls, Mm -hmm. almost exclusively moderates, almost exclusively people who actually voted for Biden in 2020, according to CNN's polling. Um, those, Those people, their obvious home is Nikki Haley. I think they probably either go to Nikki Haley or they don't turn out in the Republican primary because they decide none of these people are kind of anti-Trump enough. Okay, thanks so much, great discussion. Good to see you all. Next, four days left, the candidates go into overdrive in Iowa courting voters where Donald Trump, as we've been talking about, is still ahead in the polls and still seems to have a pretty big appeal for the all-important evangelical voters there. We'll talk about that next. From executive producers Park Chanuk and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. While Donald Trump is in a New York courtroom, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are still in Iowa trying to reach every voter they can with four days left until the caucuses. DeSantis and Haley are both campaigning in the suburbs outside Des Moines today. That's where CNN's Jeff Zeleny is. Jeff, where are their focus in these final few days? Well, Dan, it's no coincidence that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is beginning and ending his day in the Des Moines suburbs. Also, in between, he is doing events in northwest Iowa. That is the critical uh, conservative stretch of the state. Nikki Haley, for her part, she is also uh, beginning in Ankeny, where I am right now. That's uh, just a little bit um, north of Des Moines. Again, these fast-growing suburbs of Iowa that will play uh, such a critical role in caucus night on Monday. And Dan, the questions that you were asking at the debate last night, really many voters here are talking about that debate as they're trying to make up their minds between DeSantis and Haley. Yes, there are still some undecided voters, believe it or not, we still find them. But one other central uh, piece of the electorate here, of course, in Iowa always is the evangelical vote. All campaigns to some degree have been uh, courting them. We talked to some voters and pastors about what they're thinking about the race. Many of us are very happy with things that he accomplished when he was in the White House, but who he is, his character also is problematic. God puts people over us in office, and um, I believe God put Donald Trump there, and I want him back in again. So that was Pastor Mike DeMastis, who's weighing between Vivek Ramaswamy and Governor Ron DeSantis and Debbie Helt. 
She is a longtime Trump supporter and will stay that way. Dana, one of the central questions hanging over the uh, next few days going into the caucuses on Monday is how strong that evangelical support will remain for Donald Trump. Of course, this is not a monolith. Uh, voters think in their own ways. They make up their own minds. But the evangelical vote and the support certainly has been with him, uh, and it has been a key to victories here in previous caucus cycles. So the degree to which Trump can hold on to that, certainly a question. But we have found many voters who are interested in moving on, and perhaps just as many or more who are interested in following his lead because of the policies he had. So you can see the crowd here taking uh, their seats. Nikki Haley will be here shortly. So you can feel the uh, really the final push here to those Monday night caucuses uh, just around the corner, Dana. Jeff Zeleny, the best of the best. I'll see you out there this weekend. And I want to bring in one of the most influential evangelical leaders in Iowa, Bob Vanderplatz. He is the president and CEO of The Family Leader and is one of Ron DeSantis's most prominent supporters in Iowa. Thank you so much. I saw you last night in the audience at the debate. I'm already back here in Washington. Uh, but let's talk about that debate. You saw it. You were there. It got pretty heated between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. They were attacking each other, didn't go after or address the differences between them and the far and away front runner, Donald Trump, as much. Was that a mistake? Well, I don't know if it's a mistake, because I think Iowa will do its job well, Dana, if we present an alternative to the former president. And then what you do is you give America a choice, uh, either the former president and Donald Trump or a clear alternative, which I believe is going to be Ron DeSantis. So they first need to make the case about who can be that alternative. I do think Governor DeSantis did do a good job of where he does have differences with the former president and why he believes he's best positioned to win not only the primary, but to win the general election as well. Jeff mentioned that evangelical voters are crucial to clinching Iowa. Uh, just so our viewers know, you endorsed the last three GOP caucus winners, all Christian conservatives. Uh, you see them there, Ted Cruz in 2016, uh, excuse me, Rick Santorum in 2012, and going back to Mike Huckabee in 2008. That's where I first met you, I think. Um, but as of now, <laughs> majority of your fellow evangelicals seem to be rejecting those traditional conservative uh, candidates and supporting Donald Trump. How do you explain that? Well, what I said frequently is that my pulse just does not match the polls. Because that means if I talk to my base, uh, every other person would have to tell me they're voting for Donald Trump. And that just isn't the case right now. They're very uh, appreciative of all the things he did while he was in office, whether it's standing up for the sanctity of human life, appointing three justices, uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, the Abraham Accords. But then they always follow up with a but. Uh, but I believe we need to find somebody who can win in 2024 and then lead on day one and lead for two terms. And that's usually when they're landing for Ron DeSantis. So I see Ron DeSantis really going to be able to outperform his expectations on Monday night. You wrote a piece for the Des Moines Register that said, in part, my endorsement, along with my vote for DeSantis, come from a friend doing what's best for the GOP, best for America, and best for Trump. If you believe that the system is being weaponized against Trump, and many of us, uh, then a DeSantis presidency is the former president's and our best line of defense. I read that a couple of times, and I, I want you to explain it, because how is a vote for DeSantis what's best for Trump? Isn't, I mean, if I'm Donald Trump, I would say, no, a vote for Donald Trump is best for Donald Trump. <laughs> 
Well, I've told Donald Trump a long time ago, and I also send that register out bad. I've been a friend of Donald Trump for over 12 years. And being a friend of him is that you'll pray for him daily, you'll cheer him on when he does what's right, and you'll be a voice of accountability and reason as you, as you go through the process and move forward. Uh, I believe a lot what Vivek Ramaswamy is saying as he travels Iowa. The system, Governor Christie, Lynn Cheney, uh, they're just not going to let Donald Trump near the White House again. So therefore, we need to choose, and I believe choose well, so that we can win in 2024. I believe that is in the best interest of Donald Trump. So you stop a government being weaponized against him, and you ensure fairness of justice versus weaponized justice. And I think it's best for our party. You need to bring have coattails with governors, legislators, but also Congress and senators as well. And so that's why I think if you look at this analytically and you open your eyes, as Vivek Ramaswamy is challenging people all over Iowa to do, you have to come up with a clear alternative, which is best for America, best for Trump, best for the party. And I believe that's Ron DeSantis. Last night, Nikki Haley called out the man that you uh, endorsed, Ron DeSantis, for blowing through campaign cash. There's been a lot of turmoil in his campaign and the super PAC. Does DeSantis still have the ground game, which you know far better than I, one needs to get people out at the caucuses? Uh, he really does. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been around this, as you mentioned, for a long time. Uh, Ted Cruz had a great ground game in 2016, and Governor DeSantis's ground game is light years ahead of where Cruz's ground game was in 2016. Mm. If you ask any Iowan, has anybody knocked on your door? They'll tell you the DeSantis campaign has knocked on their door probably five times. But nobody from Trump, nobody from Haley, nobody from Ramaswamy. And the ground game on a frigid night in Iowa is going to produce, and that's going to end up being the difference maker, I believe, on January 15. Uh, before I let you go, DeSantis has said he will win Iowa. If he doesn't, is a strong second place good enough to stay in the race beyond your state? Well, a mentor of mine, former, former Governor Bob Ray, told me politics is all about expectations. And right now the expectation is Trump should dominate the caucuses. Nikki Haley, Governor Sununu, saying they're going to take second, and everybody's discounting Governor DeSantis. I think he'll way outperform expectations, which will give him the momentum to keep moving forward. But are you predicting that he will win at this point? I, I'm bullish that he possibly could win, but I think he'll definitely outperform expectations. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Bob Vanderplatz. I really appreciate you coming on. And a quick reminder, our coverage of the 2024 Iowa caucuses will start Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Coming up, Republicans in disarray. Again, another House GOP rebellion paralyzes the House as hardliners lose patience with their new speaker, who tells our Manu Raju it's just another day at the office. House Speaker Mike Johnson may be a self-described hardliner, but that doesn't seem to be making his job any easier when it comes to persuading his conservative brethren to vote to avoid a government shutdown. By the time we could even get back into D.C., he had negotiated the terms of our surrender. I want the speaker to start fighting for us and fighting for the American people, which means we have to close the border. You think the speaker's job is at risk? The way this place operates, I think everybody's job is at risk. This place is a joke. Wow. Uh, Manu joins <laughs> us live from Capitol Hill. I mean, I don't know what's a more powerful statement. This place is a joke or that... Uh, 
Mike Johnson negotiated the terms of our surrender. Yeah, I mean, we heard the same thing with Kevin McCarthy. And yeah. remember, Mike Johnson essentially cut the same spending deal that Kevin McCarthy did that led to his ouster. The government is facing a partial government shutdown by the end of next week. Johnson and Chuck Schumer reached a deal to set overall spending levels that those members are now revolting against. In fact, right now, those same members are in Mike Johnson's office trying to press him to change the terms of the agreement that he reached with Chuck Schumer. They came out optimistic that he would change the terms of that agreement if he does do that, that would risk a government shutdown by next week. Now, when I caught up with the speaker about all of this, I asked him whether or not he's concerned his job is at risk. He said it's not. And he also urged his colleagues to recognize the narrowness of their majority. Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, are you worried that one of these guys is going to make a move on you? No, I'm not worried about that at all. I just met with all those guys. They're, they're close friends in, of mine, and we agree on the principles. Look, I, I am a lifelong, hardcore conservative. I, I want to get as many policy wins as we can. I want to advance the ball as far as we can. But the reality is we have a small majority. So um, in, a, in a situation like that, you're not going to get everything you want. You, you get what you can get. And uh, we've been trying to negotiate to make that happen, and we're going to continue. And we're going to keep the team together. It's just another day at the office. And one of the big questions is whether or not Johnson would include tougher border restrictions, dealing with the migration crisis at the southern border, try to put new language policy restrictions in a must-pass spending bill. That's what those hardliners are demanding. They're saying we should shut down the government if we don't get our way. Johnson has not gone that far. I asked him about that as well. He simply said all the options are currently on the table. They're reviewing all that. But, Adana, if he does do that, once again, we could face a shutdown fight. If he doesn't go down on that route. Once again, we get face threats and calls for his ouster. Kevin, Speaker Johnson recognizing that Kevin McCarthy's job wasn't easy. Now he's trying to make sure he can hang on to that gavel. I was just thinking somewhere in Bakersfield, California, Kevin McCarthy is doing this, <laughs> sitting back on his uh, on his chair. Uh, Manu, thank you, as always, for your excellent reporting. Thanks, Dana. Up next, we're watching a federal courtroom in Los Angeles where Hunter Biden will be arraigned on tax evasion charges. We've got the latest on the case against the first son. Today, Hunter Biden will be in a federal courtroom in Los Angeles to be arraigned on nine criminal tax charges. This comes after the president's son made a surprise visit to Capitol Hill yesterday to briefly sit in on a House committee proceeding to hold him in contempt of Congress. CNN's Evan Perez joins us live outside the courthouse in Los Angeles. What are we expecting today, Evan? Well, Dana, we expect a lot less fireworks, uh, obviously, because Hunter Biden is going to be presenting himself uh, here in federal court here in Los Angeles, where he's facing nine counts, three of which are felonies for failing to uh, file his taxes, evading taxes, filing false uh, tax returns. What prosecutors uh, are alleging here is that uh, he didn't pay his taxes about $1.4 million dollars over the years uh, 2016 to 2019. Uh, they say during that time he was using the money that he was earning from companies in, in Ukraine and China. He was using that money uh, to fund a, a pretty high rolling lifestyle. Everything from exotic cars to exotic dancers. That's what prosecutors say he was using this money for. Hunter Biden has since paid uh, the back taxes and his argument is that he wouldn't even be facing these charges uh, if it wasn't for the fact that Republicans have been putting pressure on the Justice Department you remember, Dana, just six months ago, Hunter Biden was just minutes away from concluding a, a plea agreement that would have swept away these charges, reduced them to a, uh, to a misdemeanor. Uh, 
That fell apart spectacularly before a judge uh, there in Delaware. And so that's why he is now facing these charges here in Los Angeles, as well as separate charges in Wilmington, Delaware, Dan. And we will see uh, Hunter Biden this afternoon. And obviously, we'll see when he enters that uh, we expect a, a not guilty plea. Dana? Evan, thank you so much. Appreciate that reporting. And thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 